we finally get to hear what Brent Venables had to say about college football playoff expansion, what it might mean for the Oklahoma Sooners. Does he really have an opinion on it? He's not even sure if he has an opinion on it. We'll talk about that on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation, and welcome to Locked On Sooners. Today's episode is brought to you by Upside. Download the free Upside app and use promo code LOCKED to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more at Upside. Thank you for joining us. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. You can read my work covering the Sooners over at thesoonerswire.com. He's Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref in Norman. Josh, we're just a few days away from Kent State. How you feeling, man? Feeling good. Feeling good. Ready to see a little bit more from this Oklahoma football team. You know, what we liked, you want to see that get replicated. And for some of the guys that we were looking to have big impacts on Oklahoma that either maybe just played okay or we didn't see a lot of, okay, now you've got an opportunity versus the Kent State golden flashes to hopefully see a little bit of just that from Oklahoma. So, hey, it's more football, man. I I can't wait. Yeah, and we're going to talk about some of the things that we're feeling pretty confident about after week one, some things that might still create questions for us as we're heading into Kent state in the second segment. But first we got a little bit left over from Brent Venables media session where he was asked about college football playoff expansion. And here is what he had to say. That's great. Good. All right. And like, nobody's asking me what I think. And so I literally, I'm very sincere when I say this and I say it with all due respect, I could care less. Uh, I really could care less. I don't even know what that means. You know, but I do know it doesn't have anything to do with today's practice. It has nothing to do with Kent State. And um, I don't really know what it means in the big picture other than more teams are getting in. And, I, and I'm sure there's a narrative that, well, that means there's going to be more teams when that happens. Just say it happens in, say, three years and we're in the SEC. Well, more teams in the SEC uh, will be able to get in. I guess that's what they, they might say, but I, I really don't know. And uh, like I said, I don't really have an opinion on it whatsoever. Um, I love college football. I'm a loyalist at heart. I love the bowl system. Um, I just love that reward. There's an innocence about college football. Um, I don't want it to be professionalized, whatever that means, and commercialized, professionalized. Uh, there's some things going on in NIL. I think that's there's a lot of really good things uh, with NIL, and there's always a bad side of it too. And but I try to look at the at the good. Uh, not the bad. If it goes to playoffs, I always thought that that the um, <clears throat> the NCAA basketball tournament was just like who doesn't love that? Uh, that's cool. And who do we pull for? Loyola Chicago, right? Or you know St. Bonaventure, you know somebody like that, don't you? Yes. Y'all human, right? All right. Pull for the for, pull for the underdog. So maybe it gives again, you know, a chance for people. I think that's good for the game. I I don't I, I don't like having all the same teams in it all the time either you know so does it does it give somebody else an opportunity again maybe I don't know what that looks like I honestly don't and like I said I don't I I've got my hands on this program and and I'm just literally trying to be great today at this practice so he's not sure how he feels about it 
he doesn't really have an opinion on it. And yet he offered some really fantastic opinions on it as he continued to talk. And I think that's the great thing about Brent Venables is even if it's something he doesn't really want to talk about, eventually he's going to end up talking about it. Well, and legitimately, I'll take him at face value, John, that he didn't have a bunch of strong opinions on it. But you get asked, hey, the college football playoff is expanding to 12 and it starts with, you know, I don't know. I'm focused on today. I don't really have an opinion. And then he thinks his way through it and we get all these fantastic little nuggets from it. It is, okay, let's start here. It is great news, I think, for Oklahoma, as we've discussed in the past from this standpoint. Essentially now, once Oklahoma makes the jump to the SEC and this college football playoff expands to 12 the way that it's going to, John, I think it's a world in college football now to where top three teams in the SEC are getting in every year. The top three teams in the Big Ten probably getting in every single year, right? And one of those, of course, uh, well, two of those, but one respectively from each conference would be your Big Ten SEC champion. But, you know, a lot of years, maybe there might be four in from the SEC, right? So it just, it does create a little bit, I think, more wiggle room for Oklahoma in a league, John, that obviously for Sooner fans, I mean, look, we're seeing Alabama and Georgia do a little bit of this, but now all of a sudden you're going to add OU and Texas too. So the idea of regular one-loss seasons or undefeated seasons, I mean, shoot, we haven't seen Oklahoma have an undefeated regular season since what, 2004? So it's already been a minute that Oklahoma's done that in the Big 12. And your expectation of doing that now all of a sudden in the SEC, probably pretty unrealistic most seasons, right? But this now with the expansion, now all of a sudden, probably you still have pretty good access to the playoff. And Oklahoma's been making the playoff regularly to begin with, John. And it also creates an opportunity where a two-loss SEC team can get in. You know, you lose to Alabama and you lose to Georgia, and that doesn't necessarily wipe your season out by losing to the two best teams arguably in the country as they stand right now, if we're just looking at the current state of things. And so I'm with Brent Venables. I think more access is good for the game. You know, you look back to when UCF went undefeated, they went 13 and 0 and kind of claimed their national championship. I think that there's the perfect opportunity to just say what could happen. I mean, Boise state beating Oklahoma back in the Fiesta bowl. Like that's a situation where in modern day, like maybe Boise state doesn't get into the, the college football playoff every single year. If they're, you know, they have the one loss on their record. So I think I'm with him in that. Um, I also thought it was really interesting that he said he loves the bowl system and maybe that's just the traditionalist at heart, but I'm not really a big fan of the bowl system, especially in the current state of things where players are opting out and you're not really getting a good representation of what a team looks like heading into a bowl game. So I kind of disagree with him on that. I think we're still going to get the bowl system. I don't think the college football playoff expansion does away with the bowl system by any stretch of the imagination because there's still a lot of money to be made from the bowl games for the universities, for the games themselves, and then potentially now with NIL for the players themselves. And so I think there's still going to be a system in which we still have 30, 40 bowls in addition to the college football playoff. I don't think college football has the innocence that he wants it to have anymore. And I don't know if it's had that for a long time because it has become about the monetization of the game, whether it's at the conference level, the team level, the individual player level, the network level. It's what drives college football now is the money. And maybe it's always been the case since you know the 80s. And so whether we have college football playoff expansion or not, 
The game is not innocent anymore. Maybe it never was, but it's definitely not today. Really, ever since Oklahoma, right, won its kind of landmark television deal way back when in the 80s. I mean, that's kind of kind of when you really saw the culture shift in the sport. So probably you could say for essentially four decades, it's been now where it is very much about the monetized monetization of the sport and anymore it's even more so that so i'm with you the innocence factor you know we're trying to treat it as though it has that sort of innocence and the bottom line is it's not an amateur sport anymore right with name image likeness and the way the direction that's going you have a college football world where jim harbaugh just the other day john said he wants to see these college athletes get a piece of the pie in terms of the television deals uh that Obviously, the Big Ten is signing in the SEC and everybody else is signing. In. You know what? I think that's going to happen at some point. What that looks like and kind of how all that money gets doled out, that's maybe a story for another day. I love, though, what he said, too, about, hey, the NCAA tournament. This is what we love, right? We love a Cinderella story. Well, probably the Cinderella story in college football doesn't, doesn't play out as excitingly as maybe it does seemingly every year in the 64, well, 68 team NCAA March Madness brackets, right? It seems like you always, you always get one, right? Maybe a couple of Cinderella's. I, I don't know in college football if you're getting a Cinderella every single season, but it at least gives that opportunity like you talked about, John. Now the what if about, hey, this group of five team, what, what maybe could have happened? Now there's no more guessing. They're going to get in. And I wonder, too, as I've discussed with you before, John, the jump from two to four in terms of the parity, it, it honestly, I don't know that. I mean, in some ways it might have shifted the power balance even more to the power havers at the top, your Alabamas, Oklahomas, Ohio States, whoever, right, in terms of recruiting rankings. Four to 12, does that change that a little bit? That's going to be something I'm going to be interested to see and hey, you weren't going to know the answer to that question unless you tried, and college football, of course, is now going to try. And I don't know if we're going to see the potential Cinderella right away. It might take some time before we see a team go on a run, but it's like we see in the NFL playoffs almost every year, a team that comes in as a wild card a lot of times can make that run deep into you know the conference championship round. We saw it with the Giants several times where they made it to the Super Bowl you know, with – and you know Eli Manning gets hot, their defensive line gets hot and plays like an otherworldly unit, and it helps carry them to a Super Bowl. And so I, I don't like the idea that we just assume that Alabama is always going to be Alabama, Georgia is always going to be Georgia, and that they're these unbeatable, you can't stop them kind of a team. Because there's going to be that season where some team gets hot, whether it's a Notre Dame or an Oklahoma or USC, you know, USC is back on the rise, whether we like it or not, USC is going to be a better program than what they've been in the past or in Oregon or Washington. Like there's going to be a team that can get hot and make a run. And all you have to do is be good that day to knock off one of those teams. And Nick Saban's not going to coach for forever. And when, whenever he does decide to retire, that'll definitely shift the balance of power in college football because Nick Saban is the driving force at Alabama. He could have whatever great assistant, he has, but it's not going to be the same without Nick Saban. So I, I love the idea. I mean, we all love the Cinderella story in March Madness at four teams in the college football playoff. You don't get that opportunity. I get what the traditionalists are saying that it, that it might cheapen the regular season a little bit, 
But once you have a loss in the regular season, you're or two losses, your season's pretty much done. And it takes away any incentive for your fan bases, your schools to continue to kind of be invested in that season if you get one or two losses a lot of times. And and so I, I'm a big fan of just having as many teams as possible engaged in the process as long as possible. Just one final thing on this. Again, if I didn't say this right off the top, I just love how Brent Venables starts out. Yeah, I don't have an opinion. And by the end of it, sounds like he's like, ah, you know what? 12 teams, pretty cool. This, this could be good for college football. We might have a Cinderella. You know, I just, he's, uh, the way he approaches answering questions, I think is just fantastic. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. He can kind of formulate those things in his brain as he goes. I mean, because obviously he's thought about it. And they've, I'm sure they've talked about it in the locker room or in the coach's room, at least not maybe the, the locker room, but in the coach's room, you can't help but talk about it. It's one of the big, biggest stories in college football right now. So I, I love how he kind of starts that way and then kind of progresses towards this might be really good for college football because it creates more access. Yes, Brent, you're right on the money on that. Hey, we're going to get into things that we're confident about, things that we're still concerned about as we head into week two with the Oklahoma Sooners. First, let's talk about upside. Hey, Right now, everybody's cringing at the pump. They're getting eye-popping checks at your favorite restaurant. Inflation is hitting us all where it hurts, and it really hurts. That's why we started using Upside. Upside is an incredible app for anyone who buys gas, groceries, or dines out. With every purchase, you can earn cash back thanks to Upside. To get started, download the free Upside app, use our promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D, and get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Next, claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside. Check in at the business, pay as usual with a credit card or debit card, and get paid. In comparison to credit card rewards or loyalty programs, you can earn three times more cash back with Upside. Upside users are earning more than a million dollars every week. That's probably why they have a 4.8 star rating on the App Store. Again, download the free Upside app. Use promo code LOCK, that's L-O-C-K-E-D, to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D. And thanks so much for making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day. We're free and available on all podcast platforms and on YouTube. Go subscribe to the show over there and let us know how you're feeling about the show. Drop a like, hit the notification bell to let you know when new episodes drop. All right, Josh, week two is upon us. Tell me something that you're feeling really confident in with this Oklahoma Sooners team. Well, several, several, but let's just start here. The Sooners have a really good starting quarterback in Dylan Gabriel. I think we we thought that going in, but just even getting to see the way that he operated, John versus UTEP, I came away even more impressed. I love that the first touchdown run, that 12-yarder, He's not afraid to embrace a little contact. And I didn't know this until the other day. Did you know that Dylan Gabriel almost played football at Army? No, I didn't know that. So he was almost a triple option quarterback. What an absolute waste that would have been for Dylan Gabriel. Though it kind of tells me a little bit again about the kind of quarterback that Dylan Gabriel is. He, again, option scenario, not afraid to go embrace a little bit of contact. So I like that for Oklahoma. You know, again, 
don't need to see Dylan Gabriel every other snap taking hits, but if necessary to go pick up a tough yard or two, then obviously uh, Dylan Gabriel, like we saw from some sooner quarterbacking recent past, right? Baker Mayfield every once in a while, not afraid to get his nose a little dirty and uh, on some tough yardage situations, option play, go, go get that done for OU. But just the way that he commanded the offense, I thought uh, very, very sharp for Oklahoma. OU's got a very good quarterback, arguably the best in the Big 12, if not the best, then certainly kind of right there, like we thought with Spencer Sanders. I mean, that's, to me, one and two in whichever order it winds up shaking out uh, in the Big 12. So that's something we know, I think, coming out of week one. And in that play on that first touchdown run, I love how he put that defender in a blender, just like just one hard plant and turn the dude completely around and was gone. Like, and I, I think the Baker Mayfield comp is the perfect athletic comp for him. You know, a guy that's kind of a little bit stockier, you know, not the fastest guy like a Kyler Murray, not maybe the biggest and strongest like a Jalen Hurts and, and, you know, maybe not the quickest, but a, agile enough and physical enough to make plays happen in the running game and has the vision to make it happen as well. So I think that's a really, really good comparison for me. It's the coaching staff top to bottom. I'm, I mean, we've been bought in, we've been sold on this coaching staff for months now, but actually seeing them in game action, seeing the way that they were able to kind of stem the tide of that lull that they face in the second quarter, help the team kind of re-engage and get back into playing the way that they played in the first quarter and not allowing the the lull to kind of snowball throughout the rest of the second half, or the, sorry, the second quarter into the second half. I think that was huge. I think that just shows that this is a team that isn't going to you know kind of wade or, or sleepwalk through games. Like they might have a moment, they might have several drives that don't go their way, where just the execution's not good. And I, and I think that's what happened on Saturday against UTEP is on those two, three and outs. I didn't feel like the execution was very good on the defensive drives. You had a couple penalties um, where they extended drives. UTEP was able to, and again, we didn't see the full, you know, uh, capacity of the playbook or the scheme, but we saw a team that played hard. They played fast. They played together. And I think a lot of it just boils down to this coaching staff and the work that they've put in developing a culture over the last nine months. I read, um, you know, your brother, Joey, he had the story from uh, Brent Venables where he shared about Danny Stutzman and just like the way that they're able to challenge players in a productive way. You know, he talked to Danny, he's like, he, he and the story over at OUinsider.com, it's, it's basically, um, you know, Danny wasn't showing up to meetings with something to write with. He was, he hadn't asked for a playbook yet. And Brent Venables just casually in a conversation, just like, Hey, you're going to learn the playbook. You're going to, you're going to try and take notes and you know, taking a guy that has all this natural ability and natural instinct and awareness and saying, you, in order to go to the next level, you got to do these things too. But that ability to subtly challenge players and do so in a way that's productive, I think it, it makes all the difference. When you have a coach that isn't just going to berate you all the time or, or get on to you about everything, but just challenge you, in a way, I think that that can really make a huge difference. And I think that's what kind of what we're seeing with this team. Like, I don't know what was happening on the sideline, but I, my in, in my mind, it reminds me of a, a lacrosse game I actually coached, you know, almost two decades ago, where we're playing a team that we're better than. There's no reason that we should be losing to this team. But we give up a couple, you know, really soft goals 
playing zone zone defense and not really challenging, not really getting physical. And I just call a timeout and I bring the guys over the sideline and just say, Hey, listen, we got to step up. We got to play more physical defensively. We got, and we got to man up and they responded to the challenge and we went on to win by a big margin and only gave up like two more goals the rest of the way. But it's just when you kind of make those subtle challenges and you you ask people to step up, it, it makes a big difference. So the coaching staff is something I'm really, really confident in heading into week two. Is there anything else that you're confident in, Josh? Well, first off, I just want to say I love that Brent Venables gave Danny Stutzman the I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed speech, right? I mean, it's like the 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 number one way to motivate somebody and just guilt trip them in that fashion and you're going to get – the positive result that you're looking for. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Brent Venables, for that approach. Other things that I thought were really positive for Oklahoma, ironically, kind of right on that subject, I thought Danny Stutzman was a big-time positive for Oklahoma. Another thing that uh, I know for OU, I feel like we know that Reggie Grimes is going to be a player after week one, and I didn't really know that going in. I mean, I thought that Reggie Grimes in bits and pieces could do some nice things, but I was waiting for the Antioch Tennessee native to, to wow me, right? To, to make some plays that I said, okay, I, I see the talent now. And I think we saw that in week one. Yeah. He looked like a monster, like not just a good productive player, but a dude that played physical fast and kind of with a lot of ferocity. That's a lot of F sounds. And I like, I like a little alliteration sometimes. Fierce, uh, fast, ferocious. Yeah. Yeah. He, he just showed Great. all of that. He was physical. I mean, I think we talked about this, you know, there were a lot of times and, and Venables talked about it too in the post-game recap, like they were, you know, doing max protect a lot of times, six, seven blockers, and these guys were still getting pressure. And I think that's a testament again to what this coaching staff has done to instill in this team, the never say die attitude. All right, turning the page then, something you're not so confident in or something you might still have questions about as Oklahoma gets ready for Kent State. Does Oklahoma have a great number three wide receiver this season. I thought going in that, you know, you felt really good about Marvin Mims and Weiss and Farouk. And ultimately I think the answer to this is going to be a resounding yes for Oklahoma. And maybe the better way to phrase it, John, isn't even, I felt so good about one, two, and three that I thought would have thought the question for Oklahoma is, Hey, what about four, five, six going into the UTEP season opener and coming out of it, I'm like, well, now we got to figure out about three, four, and five, you know? So that part for me was a little bit concerning that we just didn't see more out of the wide receivers, Sands, Mims, and Weiss. So that's kind of a, all right, just show me. I know that it's going to wind up being aces for Oklahoma in the wide receiver and skill department. I, I loved what we saw from the running backs. That was a big-time question mark for me going into the, the opener versus UTEP. I thought that was – a uh, big time statement from both gray and major, but man, wide receiver outside of those top two, I thought was kind of disappointing. So that's a need to see more for me. I'd, I'd agree with that. I think you got a good games out of Marvin Mims. You got a solid performance out of Theo Weiss, you know, who converted, you know, four, four targets into three catches for 37 yards, had a big catch and run, which was great to see, but I, I'm with you the depth needs to step up a little bit and we need to figure out, okay, who's going to be that solidified number three wide receiver before we get into going to Lincoln and we get into big 12 play because you can take away a team's top receiver just through scheme. 
And then if your number two guy, if he's getting covered well or not having a good game, then you need to have somebody that's reliable at number three. I mean, I'm, I'd even be okay with seeing more Drake Stoops in that role. You know, slide Marvin Mims outside, play more Drake Stoops. Shoot, give Gavin Freeman an opportunity. That seems like a guy that knows how to make a play. I mean, we only saw him the one time, but he made a big play. I'd be more than happy to give him some snaps out of the slot and just see what could happen. You never know what's going to happen until you put it out there. And, and speaking of things that we love about this coaching staff, it's just Brent Venables encouraging his assistants, like throw guys out there. You don't know what's going to happen until you do it. Like allow them to have the opportunity to make mistakes and be okay with it because they're good. Everybody's going to make mistakes. There's nobody's perfect. And if, unless we put them out there, we're not going to know if they're able to rise to the occasion. So I think this week we're going to see more Jaden Gibson than we, I mean, we barely saw if we saw him at all. I didn't look at the snap count before recording, but I think we see more of him getting an opportunity. I think we're going to see more Gavin Freeman. He's earned an opportunity with that big play, the, the toughness and physicality that he showed. The, the other thing that I'm kind of concerned about, and one thing I want to see, maybe not concerned, concerned isn't the right word, but what I want to see out of this team is, especially along the offensive line, I want to see a dominant performance. Were they good on Saturday against UTEP? Yeah, absolutely. I think overall it was a good performance. They played really well as a unit. Again, you didn't have your full complement of starters with Wanya Morris sitting out and Anton Harrison moving from left to right tackle. But I want to see a dominant performance out of this team. You know, against, you know, like Kent State is a team that should you should be able to dominate. Washington, they ran for 132 yards. They threw for 393 yards passing um, in the week one win over Kent State, a 45-20 win. And so I, I'm looking to see, can Oklahoma have the same level of production offensively as Washington did? Can they dominate Kent State up front? Because that's, that's something they're going to have to get better at and continue to improve upon. You know, Nebraska is not going to be any slouch. They've got some really good players along their defensive front. And then just after that, you're going to have, you know, Kansas State and TCU and Tech, like the Big 12 schedule. There's no off weeks for your offensive line. So you're going to have to be really, really good. Live research during the show per pro football focus, nine, uh, nine snaps according to uh, PFF for one Jaden Gibson last week. So yeah, I'd love to see that total go up and for a bunch of the skill guys to go up and kind of like just building off what you just said. That's again, kind of dependent upon this offensive line. Can they go out there and just push guys around and make this look easy versus Kent state defensive line? Same thing. I'm with you. I'd love to see both in your final real tune-up before you embark on your power five portion of the schedule now going forward. Why, why don't these guys make it look like Oklahoma's men and Kent state is a, a bunch of not men out there playing the game of football, right? I want to see both the offensive line and defensive line dominate this thing for Oklahoma to make it easy and just to, to rotate through the roster, right? I mean, this is your final chance to figure out really what you've got before it gets serious. So do that, do that versus Kent state. Yeah, let's see a little bit more you know, wide receiver rotation. I think I think we're right. Marvin Mims, Theo Weiss, you're solidified. Those are your top two guys, and they're going to be your most productive guys this season. But I think that third wide receiver spot is going to see a bit more rotation, uh, depending on matchup, depending on what you want to see um, from your outside guys. And if they're willing to move Marvin, Marvin Mims outside, which I think they 
know, they did more of that. You know, they listed him as a slot receiver, but the big reception that he had, it came from his lining up outside Drake Stoops in the slot. So move him around more, get him more opportunities. There's a lot to be positive about. There's a lot to look forward to with this team as they go through the 2022 season, but there are still things that they got to work on. And that's every team in college football, but Oklahoma, this is who we cover. So we need to see the offensive line play a little bit better. We need to see this, you know, the third wide receiver kind of become more solidified, at least feel more comfortable with it. I think the floor is pretty solid with Drake Stoops. If he becomes like your full-time wide receiver three, I think you have a really solid floor. But the potential ceiling is pretty high with guys like Jalil Farouk. If he can string together some, you know, productive moments, uh, a guy like Jaden Gibson, who we saw some productive stuff from in the spring game. And then who knows what else? I mean, we got a couple guys that came in through the transfer portal. Let's give them an opportunity. Let's give them a shot. Josh, anything else that we need to touch on before we wrap it up here on today's episode of Locked On Sooners? Just for everybody to keep it dialed in to Locked On Sooners. Oh, That's baby, right. we got you covered with so much. We've still got plenty more to go before we kick this thing off against Kent State. Yeah, so tomorrow we'll give you our keys to the game. We'll talk through players that we're expecting to see big-time performances of. We'll pick the Big 12 games against the spread using bet online's numbers. We'll also look at some of the big matchups across the country as well. It's going to be a great week for college football in week two. I don't know if you've looked at the schedule yet, but it is just littered with fantastic matchups, not only in the Big 12, but across the country. So hope you got your your, your sitting pants on, your your snacks ready to go for Saturday because it's going to be a lot of fantastic football. But that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for subscribing to the show wherever you get your podcasts. We're free and available on all platforms. Also, go check us out and subscribe over on YouTube. Until next time, he's Josh Helmer. I'm John Williams. We'll catch you then. Boomer Sooner.